Hi there, welcome to the Neurodivergent Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Griffith, and I am so excited to have you here. On this podcast, we talk about all forms of neurodivergence, from ADHD to learning disorders to giftedness to autism and more. If any of that sounds familiar, welcome to Neurodivergent Magic. Hello, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, and welcome back to another episode of the Neurodivergent Magic Podcast. I'm super excited for today's interview because we are talking to Hannah. Hannah is someone who lives with dyspraxia, which is a form of neurodivergence that we don't always hear a lot about. Unfortunately, neurodivergence is sometimes boiled down to just autism and ADHD, but the truth is the neurodivergent umbrella covers a wide array of experiences, disorders, and conditions, and dyspraxia is one of them. So Hannah and I are going to talk about what dyspraxia is, how it affects her, and um, basically what it's like to live her life. And I think it's a super fascinating episode. So let's jump on into it. Hi, Hannah. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am also good. I am so, so excited. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast today. No, no problem. Thanks for, thanks for asking me. Yeah. Um, so for those of you listening, Hannah is here. We are going to talk today about dyspraxia, which is a form of neurodivergence. And um, I think I just want to start out by asking you, you know, what what is dyspraxia in your own words? Like what how do you experience it? Sure. Um, so the best way I've ever heard it described. Um, so these aren't my words. I got this from a, a Guardian article or something is dyspraxia is when the brain takes the scenic route. <laughs> so in like a neurotypical brain, um, I mean, this isn't gonna work for the podcast because I'm gonna demonstrate it, but say like your, your, your thoughts gotta go from like, like one place in your skull to just right next to it, basically. Sure. Uh, so it's a short journey, essentially. Whereas with dyspraxia, with my brain, it goes all the way around to get there. <laughs> um that's a quite a rough explanation but yeah basically everything just takes longer for my brain to process it um so this this can manifest in a lot of ways like the most obvious factor like symptom I suppose of dyspraxia is clumsiness Mm -hmm. so I fall over a lot I trip over a lot I drop things a lot I break things a lot um all of that sort of thing because the amount of neurons needed to like grip something or, or walk in a straight line is actually it's, it, that takes a lot of brain of brain function to do that even if it's a really simple a- action so if it gets slowed down if um yeah if um and then something like changes in your environment then you end up dropping the thing or spilling soup down yourself or as what happened to me uh, a couple of days ago, falling over because you're running uphill and the surface changes suddenly. And the environment is just changing too fast. My body was going too fast, my brain to keep up with. So I went on my face. I was fine. It's not, it's not, a, it happens a lot, like I said. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that, that, that's basically the easiest way of explaining it is my brain processes things slower and this manifests in the world of, of me like not being able to throw or catch very easily um because i can't my brain can't keep up with the ball so i drop it uh it also it's hard for me to take in information especially if it comes at me quickly because if someone gives me like a load of information in one go 
I'm like, no, nah, didn't, didn't get any of that because <laughs> <laughs> the, the first thing you said, you're gonna have to start again. Um, and and it takes me longer to learn new things. Like it is a learning disability, and to like figure stuff out, like I'll have to think about something a lot longer um, than a neurotypical person. And that's why I got extra time in my exams at school and university. Um, yeah, I don't think I've missed anything out there. That was quite long, but yeah. <laughs> no, that was perfect. That was such a wonderful explanation. I think uh, people who haven't heard of dyspraxia before are going to have a much better understanding right now. So thank you. Um, no I was also, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was also wondering, when did you realize that you had dyspraxia? Like how, what was that process like? So honestly, I can't remember a whole lot of it because I was diagnosed when I was nine, mm -hmm. which is actually quite unusual, un unusual. That's quite early. I know so many people who weren't diagnosed till they were adults. So I was quite lucky. I was very lucky in that sense to be diagnosed so early. And it was my parents really who noticed the difference in me. So I've got a younger sister who's two years younger than me. So I guess there was a sort of comparison there as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, and at school as well, I struggled a lot with various things. And I, I definitely noticed I was different to other kids, but I didn't know why. Um, so yeah, the process of diagnosis, I think, first of all, I was tested for dyslexia and that was ruled out quite quickly because um, the only stuff I re would really have as a crossover dyslexia, I think is like spelling and various other things, but none of the really big pointers like struggling reading. Mm. Um, so from what I remember, my parents got me diagnosed uh, through our local children's hospital. And once I was diagnosed, I got extra, extra help um, I went to a, a like support group sort of a thing every uh, Thursday afternoon or something and there we covered stuff like like using a knife and fork I always really struggled with um, can't ride a bike still can't learn then can't now it's all gone um, that whole you never forget thing not true uh, <laughs> um, and yeah stuff like that and ham yeah, stuff with ha my handwriting is abysmal um I, yeah, I struggled with spelling and all those various other things were what highlighted that, that that there was something there when I was um little um and then yeah I got the diagnosis at nine and from then I was there was like extra support put in at school and um so in primary school and uh, I'm afraid I don't know the American equivalent for that <laughs> then, uh, no no you're okay you don't have it but <laughs> And then, yeah, through secondary school. Um, and then when I went to university as well, um, because I had the diagnosis, we were able to put the stuff in place. Um, but yeah, it was definitely my parents and me and teachers at school noticing there was something off and then finding out what it was. Yeah, I'm so, so glad that you were able to find out what was going on at such a young age. I think that's a huge, I, I view it as a huge, um, like help basically do you feel like it yeah was yeah a, absolutely 100 okay. percent. i wasn't yeah. sure how you felt because there are some people who you know they regret being diagnosed so young because they feel like it holds them back do you like have that point of view at all or that's really interesting um yeah maybe a little bit i suppose it did mean that i was always in so i was always in like the sort of um, additional support 
groups and sometimes like the lower set like I, I hate the set system that we have in British schools of giving like lower set and upper set I think it's really damaging but that's a whole other thing um so I was always I was often in the, the lower set for things like English which I was actually really good at uh in terms of actual content um but because my spelling was so bad and my handwriting was so bad I was put in the bottom group to like try to try I think to try and help me with that but at the same time thinking back I'm like mm, <laughs> you know we type everything now did it really matter that much that my handwriting and spelling wasn't so good um because by the time I was in secondary school that teachers could understand what I was saying like enough <laughs> to be for me to be able to be able to mark an essay um so yeah a, li a little bit in that I was in the lo lower sets of, of school for quite quite a long time not not always but but often so I guess from that aspect slightly but I would say overall it's been more of a help than a than a drawback because it has meant I was able to get the help that I would have needed to just to get to get through school to get any grades at all at GCSE um which so, so, yeah I definitely needed the help and I needed the extra time and exams and the extra support um so so yeah I'd say overall it was definitely a benefit rather than a, a drawback yeah yeah as someone who's late to the party and only learned about neurodivergence as an adult I definitely wish it was noticed yes. <laughs> personally, but I do, I recognize that everybody feels differently about it. And I totally agree with you. The set system is a mess and makes uh, no sense at all. Um, I liked it. <laughs> no, that's, uh, I could talk about that for a long time. So we're going to steer clear of that because that is not the topic. Um, <laughs> um, something I did want to ask about that you've talked about a couple of times here is accommodations. So in school, you got extra time on tests to allow your brain to take the scenic route, um, <laughs> which I think is such a great accommodation, totally makes sense. Um, did you have other accommodations? Do you have accommodations in daily life that you use or in relationships? Um, what sort of supports do you have? Sure. Um, so yeah, so at school, uh, particularly in secondary school, it was just extra time and exams. I also had like a sort of personal um, tutor type person who I went to um, once a week to help with, with stuff like spelling and handwriting. Uh, at university, it was similar. It was the same. I had extra time in exams. I was also given, um, I was supposed to have been given uh, notes ahead of lectures, and I was able to use a dictaphone in lectures. Uh, I wasn't always given the notes because not all teachers were that on it, but most of the time I was. So, and and yeah, and again, more help in exams. Uh, the issue became when I went to master's level, which was after um, undergrad at, at university. And for that, I didn't have exams. So this main accommodation that had been made of having extra time in exams wasn't there. So all I really, so I did, all I really got was that my, for at the start was that my personal tutor, who's also my dissertation supervisor, um, knew I had dyspraxia. And so helped me out with that. And as time went on, he realized more needed to be, we both realized more needed to be done. So he started to give me extra time on essays. So basically it was all assessed by essays or by coursework, there was no exams. So 
he gave me for every essay like another couple of days to like accommodate that 25% I would have gotten if it was an exam and that really helped that was a massive turning point in the year because I was really really struggling with the master's level work up to that point um so so yeah that 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 was the education side of things since I've left education and gone to world of work things have gotten a lot harder so education there is stuff like you can have 25% extra in exams and there's rules you can set out essentially at work it's much more sort of fluid of sort of I need people to understand this is how I am and this is why I am but that's quite that again that's quite flimsy at times to put in a place as an accommodation so in previous workplaces, which were all retail based, I had real issues. Mm-hmm. So they'd be like quite big teams, a wide range of ages quite often. Lots of them had never heard of dyspraxia. Maybe a couple people didn't think it was a real thing. I have encountered that before as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that had a lot of issues. Uh, where I am now, it's much better. Um, and it's a small team everyone knows about it and they have put in stuff to help me out so like um, so I'm at a library but when we use the till they've got like a little list of instructions on the till because I always forget how to use the till and there's like list of instructions for like opening up closing down um, just stuff like that so that when I forget stuff because I do I forget stuff a lot um, I've got somewhere to go to figure it to figure it out so yeah, again, overall, I find my experience of accommodations put in in education were much more positive to in employment. Um, but now it's yeah, much much better. And in terms of personal my personal life, it's mostly just writing lots and lots of lists, planning really well, starting stuff early, so that I can I can give myself time to get it done because I like to do things like little and often. That's how I always used to do essays, um, was start early, do a little bit at a time. And yeah, that, that, that's better for me than doing it all in one go at the last minute, because that doesn't work with, with my brain. Um, so yeah. All of those sound really helpful. And I hope everybody listening, uh, you can please feel free to swipe these accommodations. <laughs> Okay. I know a lot of a lot of neurodivergent <laughs> people, especially late diagnosed, they're like, great, okay, I'm neurodivergent, but like, what now? What do I do? How do I get help? What sort of accommodations can I even ask for? All of these are great. These have been great accommodations. I especially love um, the work accommodations that you're mentioning now, like your whole team knows. Um, what was that disclosure process like? Was that stressful for you? Yeah, so I... Um... <sighs> So I learned after I got my first job, the best way to go about this is mention it in the interview. Don't wait till you get there, because by that point, it's 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 much harder to get it in place once you're there. So but this now what I do is whenever we get to part of the job interview, they say, do you have any questions? That's where I bring up. So I've got this thing called dyspraxia. This is what it does. This is how it affects me. Can you accommodate for that? And for a while, I was scared to do that because I thought it would put people off because there's lots of things that aspects of it, which, you know, has that potential to. It does mean it. I would have to it would take me longer to learn things and pick new stuff up and adapt to new places and all that sort of stuff. 
but I've learned since that if they can't accommodate for it then the job's not really worth doing because <laughs> I'm not going to get the help I'm not going to get the help I need I'm not going to I'm not going to be able to do the job to my full capacity if I don't get the help if they don't have that understanding and they're not willing to help me out with it and there are legal stuff as well like they're not allowed to discriminate against you on the basis of your disability mm-hmm. um so in some ways they, like they, they have to put stuff in um so I think by starting early making sure you say as early in the process as possible um so yeah at the interview is what I always do is uh, I have I have this this thing called dyspraxia this is what it means um so it, it, I guess it was stressful at the start when I first started doing that, but now it's just a sort of just part of the interview process for me. So I don't really mind doing it anymore. And I have, um, with the job I'm at at the moment, I have had to talk about it a fair, a fair bit just to keep the stuff going and make sure everyone does understand. Because it's very complex and there's many things it does affect me in. And I, I don't always remember them all in an interview. So... Over the course of the, I've been at my job nearly a year now. So over the course of that year, I've had to go back a few times and say, so this is also, I'm struggling with this. What can we do about it? I'm struggling with this. Um, yeah, it, 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 it is scary at times because it is a tough thing to talk about. Like, you know, it, 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 it wasn't, um, I didn't have a fun time at school as a result of being dyspraxic and the other kids' attitude to it. So it, it is a hard thing to, to open up to people about. Um, so, you, but it's it's important to make sure it's someone you trust when you're talking to someone about it. But yeah, it, it's scary, but it is helpful, and it, it is. I feel it has been necessary for me um, to get where I am now. Yeah, yeah. Accommodations should be more widely available. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> we need we need to talk about accommodations more. We need to um explain accommodations to neurotypical folks because I think a lot of them view it as like cheating <laughs> but Absolutely. but as you can see yeah. like the work accommodations like having a list of how to use the till or a list of how to open or close like in what way would that be cheating that's that's helpful most people benefit from accommodations in some way so you don't have to be dyspraxic or neurodivergent in some way to benefit from accommodations like everybody has memory farts and would probably benefit <laughs> from you know having reminders every now and again so i think i think we need to talk more about accommodations just in general in our society for sure absolutely yep yeah. So if you don't mind me asking, a lot of neurodivergent people have a lot of shame around being neurodivergent. And just listening to the way that you talk, you sound very much like, yeah, I'm dyspraxic. I have dyspraxia. It's it's just part of me and I'm not ashamed. And personally, I think that's amazing. Um, <laughs> but you. I'm curious, like, how did you get to that point? Like, did you just feel really supported from a young age and like, it just, the shame hasn't crept in or have you done a lot of work to not be ashamed? It's a rocky road. It's been a rocky road. I'm not going to lie to you. So as I alluded to earlier, I was bullied at school because I'm dyspraxic. Like the kids who did it wouldn't say that was the reason, but it was. It's because I was, I was different. I, I was weird. I talked in a different way to them. I fought in a different way to them. I really liked reading. I had ideas other people didn't have and they thought that was odd. Um, so yeah, I, it wasn't ever physical bullying, um, but it was quite bad. It has left me with quite a lot of um, issues around that. Um, so yeah, shame has definitely been part of it. It's not, it wasn't, um, 
like I was when I was really young as well it was definitely a sort of why aren't I like everyone else am I just useless why why is this happening why do I why can't I catch a damn ball you know like everyone else can why can't I do it so yeah a lot there was a fair bit of shame growing up even though I did have a really supportive family I absolutely have to say that my parents were great my siblings were great I absolutely had a really really supportive family but not all teachers at school got it I had teachers at primary school and secondary school who definitely thought I was just lazy and being like deliberately dense like I wasn't trying um so that that didn't help either um and at university I had a really bad experience with one teacher it was going to be like a one-to-one module thing and yeah either she didn't know or she just didn't think it was a thing and yeah the whole thing didn't last very long I changed modules and was like no, I don't 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 need this in my life I did this did this enough as a child I'm not gonna do it as an adult um so yeah I definitely definitely shame has been part of it I think now it's sort of it's I still have days when I'm like oh god why 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 can't you just remember to do the thing why 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 are you like this um but I have also through having a good supportive network around me and from from knowing about it for so long that's now it is just a part of me um I'm definitely much happier with it than than I ever have been now and I wouldn't get rid of it if I could um because it is it's part of who I am and it has it does a lot of it does good things for me as well as bad things like it means that I come up with stuff other people don't come up with um in terms of like creatively like I I write stories and and stuff so that it, it does, definitely does help with that and I it, it's meant I've, I've always been hard working because I've had to be so that's useful as well and it I've, um it, it helps improve empathy as well dyspraxia so I don't yeah I wouldn't get rid of any of that um but yeah it's complex it's a complicated relationship I'll, I'll say that um and it has taken me a long time to come to a place of acceptance and I do sometimes or still have this sort of moment of oh, don't, don't talk about it keep, keep it hidden or you'll get beaten up again but nah it, it it's taken a while but I'm definitely happier now than I was when I was when I was younger 100%. That's so so wonderful to hear like I'm sorry to hear that you were bullied, especially I, I know what you mean when you say like they wouldn't say it was because of the dyspraxia, but it was because of all the signs of dyspraxia, you know. <laughs> um, so I yeah, I'm sorry that was your experience, but I'm really glad to hear that you've come to a place of acceptance and that it's for the most part. I understand we all have days where we're like, I would pay a million dollars to have a different brain. <laughs> 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 but uh for the most part we've come to a, you've come to a place where it's like this is my brain and there's actually some good stuff about it and this is me and I wouldn't change me and I think that's a really beautiful place to be yeah <laughs> yeah it's good <laughs> <laughs> so I have one last question for you I was just wondering what do you wish people knew about dyspraxia? Like people listening to this episode, like what if they come away with one thing sticking in their brain, like what do you think you'd want them to know? Um, I guess it'd be me and all dyspraxia people, we're not doing it on purpose. Um, we're not misunderstanding you on purpose. We're not taking ages to 
figure something out on purpose. We're not being lazy. That's a big accusation of people with dyspraxia that you're being lazy because you just can't handle as much stuff as anyone else. And stuff and and stuff. I get my brain gets overwhelmed really, really quickly. I get exhausted quite easily because my brain's working a lot harder just to just to stay upright, really, just to, just to function in the world as a human. It, which is hard for anyone to be honest being a human isn't easy but still um it, it and it, it is because it's um it's inside it's not a it doesn't manifest really as a physical disability it does it it does look like you're just you're not disabled and you're just you know you're just being lazy or or slow or whatever and i think that can be the main problem is the lack of visibility the fact the person so a customer who I've never met looking at me can't see the dyspraxia. They just see someone who's asked them to repeat themselves three times and now they begin to think they're taking the mickey. Um, and that, that's something I have learned in customer service. If you ask someone to repeat themselves more than three times, they will think you're just trying to, you're, you're just not listening. But it's, that's not it. It's because they're talking at 100 miles an hour and I've got no idea what they're saying. Um, so yeah, that's the main thing is sort of, it look it, even if you look like you're not disabled doesn't mean you're not and it, it it's not a choice it's not a it's not laziness it, it is just what it is which, which is a which is an actual disability and yeah that's why i wish people knew i think that's such a great way to end our episode here i think that's so important for dyspraxia, for other forms of neurodivergence, like just because you can't see it doesn't mean it isn't real. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here. I, I feel like I've learned so much. I know the listeners have too. So thank you so much for sharing and for being vulnerable and open and just for showing up. Thank you for having me, I should say. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. All right. I will see or hear. You guys will hear from me uh, next Saturday. Okay. Bye. Bye. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you give us a follow over on Spotify, leave a review over on Apple Podcasts, and tune in next Saturday for another amazing episode.